I don't want a pickle I just want to ride on my motorcycle Hello everybody and welcome. This is the Noco Moto Podcast, episode number 135. Probably like 147 actual actual recordings or posts or episodes posted, but it's episode 135 per the formula. And you're still here. And you're still here. I only know this because Buzz, Buzzsprout is going to give us another sticker when we hit 150. <laughs> but I did – actually, I forgot to talk to you about this before we started recording Swigs, but I do – with with sort of all the the platforming things that are going on, we don't talk about anything political on the show, and I'm not about to. But I do just want to give a little bit of a shout out to basically all of the sites that host podcasts and Apple Podcasts and just all of the pod feeders for just not feeling a need to have an opinion about any of the content posted. This is why podcasting in general is so great. I agree. And why vodcasting is a total fucking waste of time and a corruption of the format. Just a little thing there that I just felt grateful for this morning. Okay. Now, moving on with a table of contents for this episode. We have quite the corrections and omissions this week, which we expected – and oh my god are there some great moto fads that we missed so we're going to get into those in just a minute and then we'll do best worst bike and then we are going to do cheap biker moves i'll give you one as a little bit of a taste of how good this is going to be um let's see which one should we go with um reusing tubes when you replace your tires right like we've got some really good cheap biker moves here like what are tubes eight dollars right well like twenty dollars uh well the well no i guess the tubes i just bought for the scooters were eight dollars but whatever they're like twenty dollars it's it's fucking like for the amount of safety involved Anyway, uh, yeah, that's going to be good. Uh, and then we have possibly, it depends how, how we do for time, we have what I think is the how to sound like you know what you're talking about that we've been building to for like three years now. This is the – we have a how to sound like you know what you're talking about tech segment that I feel is what I envisioned at first, but we've never been able to hit until now. I am – very confident that we will not sound like we know what we're talking about. Well, that, that exactly. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, yeah, let's get into corrections and omissions. You got them pulled up, Swigs? I do. Oh, by the way, I'm your host, MotoGP. With me is your other host, Swiggy. <laughs> yep. Okay. All right. Let's, okay. let's get into it. So, we uh, we got one... We got other stuff in these emails, but we're just going to stick to the omissions. Uh, so Phil from Denver gave us one. Uh, he brought up ape hangers as a motorcycle fad. I thought we talked about ape hangers. Uh, I don't think we did because it was um, we did fads that were going away. 
Uh, it was definitely, I must have been honorable mention. Well, here, I have the fucking list right here from last week's notes. Hold on, you're going to hear paper rustling. I know it's bad. Um, yeah, Ape Hangers was in honorable mentions. Oh, so we did? Th- okay. Well, fuck you, Phil. <laughs> now, Phil had some other good mentions, I think. Uh, did he have any new ones? I don't think so. Well, Phil had probably my favorite correction or remission of the week, which was the actual breakdown of the ending of Double Dragon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is, I didn't get it quite right, but it, the truth is more disturbing. Um, so in Double Dragon, one of the brothers is named Jimmy, and I can't remember the other's name, but it's another Emmy. It's not Timmy. It's like Jimmy and something else. Anyway. <laughs> So the two brothers, so it's, so the girl that you're saving in Double Dragon is specifically Jimmy's girlfriend, Marion, right? Now, when you beat Double Dragon, you get to the end and like Marion's in this dungeon tied to the wall. And then, so Jimmy's about to like make out with his girlfriend while she's chained to the wall. It's fucking weird. And then his brother's like, you know, I've just spent the whole game like getting bloodied up to save this chick too. I want to fucking make out with her. And then they have a fight to the death over it while she has to watch. That's that's yeah. the ending of Double Dragon. The NES classic. The NES and arcade classic. <laughs> It was a different time. It was a different. <laughs> I mean, it really wasn't. It was just really fucked up. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the the article that Phil sent us is like it's it's not a game that you beat. It's a game that beats you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what what else have we got? Okay, so uh, John Del Vecchio sent us a. Uh, Three solid ones. Well, let's plug John Del Vecchio um, with his, uh, what's the name of his book? Um, Cornering Confidence. Cornering Confidence. Uh, Change the way I ride. Look it up. Awesome shit. Uh, he sent us three, right? He did. Uh, one of them, I think, is still kind of a big thing. Two of them are solid candidates. Uh, the first is uh, Master Cylinder Socks. Oh, oh, the Brake Reservoir Cozy? Yes. Oh, okay. Let's do these one at a time. (laughs) So this is kind of like the get back whip. It's sort of a myth that never like was a thing. Right. Because the the myth here is, well, I think what, what ended up happening was it was first done for the obvious reason, which is if you've got a camera in the dash of a motorcycle facing a rider, the brake reservoir is always in shot. It's free advertising real estate. Yeah, this comes straight from MotoGP. So, yes, of course you want to put something on that because that's space that you can use for advertising. But since it became a, a thing in racing, it ended up becoming things that people did on their street bikes. But then they had to invent a reason around it as to why they were doing it. They couldn't just say, well, this is what you see on a race bike. 
because it's advertising space. You have to actually come up with a reason. Well, and this is also where YouTube gets involved because YouTubers would get like essentially just get wristbands made with their logos on them and sell them as <laughs> break reservoir cozies. And, right. And I think the YouTubers spun up the mythical reason that UV breaks down your fluid. And this is why most of the ones that you see are just like, uh, like online purchased, like custom sweatbands. Yeah, they're just straight up 80s wristbands with the logo on them. And those just fit around break reservoirs. So the mythology here, I think that's an appropriate word, is uh, that, well, you want to cover up your your, uh, break reservoir. Because UV light will break down brake fluid. Now, if this was true, maybe every manufacturer of brake reservoirs would make a material, make them out of a material that was impervious to UV light. Wait, what's that you say? Uh, some sort of material that won't let UV. Well, what is the material swigs that they make them out of? Plastic. <gasps> Wait. Does plastic let UV through swigs? No. <gasps> Mind blown. <laughs> but this is also a legitimate uh, fad that went away because I don't see this anymore. I haven't seen it be a common yeah, thing. It's, yeah, it's, I haven't. It's finally going away. Thank God. Well, probably because all of those sweatbands just sat outside in the elements, in the cold, and against like wind and road grime just got disgusting quite predictably and thrown away. I guess after a certain point, you probably don't want the constant scent of mildew wafted into your face. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, this was this was destined to be short lived from the get go. (laughs) There is still something fun about getting a logo on on your little brake reservoir there on a sport bike because it's just such a part of the dash in front of you. You know, it's fun. I'm in airplane mode. How did that happen? Oh, by the way, probably on Wi-Fi. Oh, that's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going to fix that while I explain to people. At some point, you're also going to hear the kettle go because I I can't drink while we do the show for a while. So I'm just drinking tea. I'll drink for two. It's yeah. okay. <laughs> oh, we know that. <laughs> okay. God damn it. Okay. So. so okay. So the next one. I have extricated myself from every community that would talk about this and get really big on this. So I don't know if this is still a fad or not. I assume that it is. Uh, Fender Eliminator kits. Well, just with the decline of sport bikes in general, right? That's true. Also, now we've got the tire hugger license plate holders, which are a lot more attractive and I think a very elegant solution to the problem. That's true. So the factories have found some workarounds because they're like, oh, well, people are buying these bikes and instantly technically making them not road legal by taking off these, you know, but the whole high tail look has just completely gone out. 
not just for sport right. bikes where it does still exist and you still get like the weird there there I want to say in like early 2000s people were starting to call the rear fender on on sport bikes UFOs I don't know why it was just like I don't know they look like this fucking UFO th- some guys I've heard a few people say it like way back like around like 2004 but yeah the only reason you would do this is if you're buying an R6 or a Gixxer 600 and there just aren't that many of those people right now. And the, the naked bike look thing is not all about the super high tail anymore. That's true. Yeah. It's more of a flat line across the bike. on just about everything. So we don't really need them. The fenders are more incorporated and on top of that, if they do need to be, they've got the wheel huggers. So it's just gone. But it's it's kind of the sport bike equivalent of the ape hangers, if we're really honest with ourselves. It's like, okay, I'm going to take this piece, which my turn signals are attached to, which my license plate light might be attached to, which keeps my license plate in view. Like how many sport bikes have we seen with the fender eliminator kit and the air draft that's like then created bends the license plate in? Well, a lot of them will just, um, well, it depends on what, what state you're in. Like in Colorado, as long as your license plate is bolted to the end of the subframe, you're good. So if the actual like steel of the subframe like is, like six inches into your into your wheel well, like your license plate could be almost completely obscured, but like it's legal. So it really <laughs> depends. And well, also it still does need to be illuminated. Yes. But there's lots of regulations around motorcycles that aren't really followed or enforced. Like ape hangers. Yeah, exactly. It's not supposed to be above shoulder height, but no one gives a flying fuck about that also. But yeah, like I said, they they, 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 they buy this brand new bike and then they go, oh, I, uh, turn signals, license plate. I don't want any part of that. <laughs> they, you know, like, uh, I mean, stoplight, uh, like tail light. often they'll do like, you know, they, they just call it the tail cleanup and all of this. Right. And basically the tail tidy, the tail tidy. Yeah. Your, your brake light, your turn signals and license plate would all become like near invisible by the time you were done with this process. And not to mention these kits were like $200, like, just to unscrew the plastic fender underneath the bo- underneath of your bike's tail and replace it with a smaller one. Uh, yeah, this is the kind of a sport bike version of ape hangers. Mm-hmm. Now, the last one is my favorite because in 2013, 2014, this was a really big thing, especially amongst the supermoto guys. Shorty levers. Shorty lever. Oh, my God. <laughs> Walk us through. Walk okay. us through, Swigs. There's so much to this. Okay, so. It's a brake and clutch lever. But they're shorter. 
I, I, I have had this is like flat earth the mental gymnastics you have to go through to justify this move as something logical is astounding right <laughs> i've had so many people try to justify this to me and like let, let's just play this out let's just follow the logic Apparently, shorty levers are this super ergonomic, high-precision thing for, like, two-finger clutch shifts and, and brake shifts that will just make you a cleaner, better rider. It looks cooler and all this stuff. I agree, by the way, that if you get to a more advanced level of riding, two-finger methods are totally legitimate. Right. But... The idea that it's an inherently superior system to just have a shorter lever in and of itself holds no water. Like, let's, uh, yes. let's, let's think about this. We've been riding, you know, human, we've had motorcycles for, what, 130 years, 140 years? Only, apparently, in the last 10 years or so did we discover that we could have been riding so much better if we've if just, we just taken a hacksaw <laughs> to the middle of the lever. If we had just used less lever. <laughs> uh, explain. Like, how does this work? Well, the, the, the argument that your two-finger method works better because you could easily tuck your fingers behind it would sound great on the surface if it wasn't that as the lever goes out further, it's further away from the handlebar. So I, I don't understand how it's easier to have your other two fingers wrapped around the grip when the lever is only just pointing away from your hand, right? And if your brakes are adjusted anywhere remotely near correctly, it's not like you're going to squeeze your fingers coming in, right? Right. And it's just not going to happen. That's not how brake levers are adjusted. It, it's So the whole reason that people put on shorty levers is they needed an excuse to replace their current levers because they wanted something anodized on their handlebars. I mean, I've got anodized levers, but only because I was way too cheap to buy oh, the, new the, old stock Piaggio parts, well, which right. was a pure exercise in torture. Yes. Which I will never do again. Right. But, but anodized isn't, isn't as hot as it was a, a couple years ago, but the, for a minute there, everything anodized was the look, and everyone wanted these these cool looking anodized brake levers and shit, and they they needed a reason to pull the trigger. They needed a reason to go through the hassle of doing it, and being told that these brake levers were superior was enough to push some people over the edge so they could get the brake levers that looked flashy like they wanted. You say that, but I think it gets a little bit more extreme than that. I've seen Supermoto guys mock other Supermoto guys for not swapping out their stock levers for shorties. Oh, yeah. Just like Flat Earth, there's going to be some people that buy in whole hog. 
there are people that are gonna they're gonna rep it so hard that all of their reputation hinges on this being true. Therefore, they cannot back down. Like there's no exit strategy. There's no exit. <laughs> yeah. There's you you are all in, ride or die. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Next one. And this is a big one. This is a big omission on our part. Although we don't see this on a daily basis, this is uh, this is very much a UK thing. Oh, I know what this is. So Jay uh, sent us an email reminding of reminding us of the polite vest. It's been like a year and a half since we've talked about this. This is amazing. So if you're not familiar familiar in the UK. Uh, are learners required to wear high vis? I can't remember, but high vis is also just a common thing. Yeah, it's much more a common thing. It's but not it's also, just for um, construction workers on the highway. It's but for more, more specifically, all police wear high vis vests and a very specific high vis jacket. It's got this very. It see. It doesn't seem that distinct at first, but it's it's this like. It's, it's the so hive is yellow with the the reflective with like the taxi checkerboard mm-hmm. stripes on yeah, it. Yeah, and then the high reflective uh, and that goes up the sides. So there's sort of a patch of solid hive is yellow in between the shoulders, down the sides, and in the square of the back, and then around that in sort of a U shape makes the is that checkerboard um, thing. And then it says in big letters across in between the shoulder blades, police. And and it might say the city name below that. And the, it, yeah, this is like ninety eight percent of the way to impersonating a police officer, right? So so a lot of bike shops will sell these jackets, these high vis jackets, instead of police, say polite, and the and everything is altered just five ten percent. So. You just see it, and your brain for a second will go like, "Oh, police!" Like, you know, as if we're really gonna be fooled that some dude with a used Craigslist helmet and a 2003 Honda Deauville is is a police officer, right? No, this is the BMW crowd. This is the the GS crowd. Yeah, there's that too. Uh, it, I, I I said to Jay in, in an email response, it carries with it the sort of lameness that is usually reserved for novelty Christian T-shirts. Yeah, like like a shirt that says Jesus instead of like the Rhesus logo. It says Jesus and like the Rhesus, like you know, <laughs> or or virginity rocks, like you know, like and it's supposed to look like you know some band logo, like. It's on the surface, it's sort of clever for a moment, but it's in, but there's this inherent like do goodiness about the item as well. And after you think about it for more than a second, it's not very clever. It's, it's just cringy. And, And you wonder like, why, why should it offend you so much? 
You know, why should it hurt your sensibility that someone has these one of these fucking polite vests? And the reason is it's just fucking dumb in the same way that a novelty Christian shirt. You look at it and you're like, oh, come on, dude. Like, is does this really have to be what you're about? Well, here's the thing. You can't like, be about this quietly. You know, in Internet culture, these things kind of make sense because you can do it as an image that you just post to a message board. Somebody looks at it. It's funny for five seconds. They close the window. They never have to see it ever again. Everyone got a little bit of a laugh and it's gone. People buy these and they wear them every time they ride. And it just keeps going on. These people have invested so many thousands of times more than they should have into this concept. You know, I don't even blame motorcyclists all that much for this. I blame non-bike people. And let me explain that, right? So if there's a conversation happening between... And this is a conversation that I've had several times. I'll be explained to someone who doesn't ride... Well, okay, motorcycling involves some risks, but uh, there's a lot of things that we're quietly doing that minimize this a lot. And I'll talk about safety gear and techniques and whatever. And you'll mention high vis. And then some dumb fuck who might be in the conversation or might not goes, huh, you know what I like? Those vests that say polite instead of police. <laughs> And then someone else hears that in earshot. And then when they go and buy their first motorcycle, they're like, oh, yeah, I'll get one of those polite vests. That's how this is perpetuated. Just some dumb fuck that hasn't thought it through just goes, hey, I can recall this little play on words thing that looks like a thing that seems clever if you don't think about it. Yeah. There's a lot of people... I'm really getting angry about the polite vest. <laughs> yeah. It, there are people who... It, yeah. It, there's a large segment of the population that isn't really conscious on a moment-to-moment basis who just live like 90% of their waking moments on autopilot. Yeah. That includes conversations. <laughs> oh, kettle's on. Hold on. Well, I'll crack a beer over it just to... <laughs> <laughs> All yeah. right, so uh, bring up our, our next one here. All right. Uh, so we also have... Uh, oh, that's it. Okay, there we go. Okay, so there we go. Yeah, it was it was 26 minutes. I, I knew this was going to be a substantial one. So now we're ready to move to best worst bike in the world this week. Are you ready, Swigs? I am. Okay, so here we go. Here's the recurring segment we have in every episode. It's called best worst bike in the world this week. If you're new to the show, here's the quick breakdown. Every week we each pick a different motorcycle. One of us is going to have best bike in the world this week. One is going to have worst. We alternate who has what each week, and we don't know what each other have chosen. It's always a surprise because it's just more fun that way. Now, 
We often put a lot of thought into it. Sometimes we don't, you know? We gotta crank one of these out every week. They can't all be winners. So you might get upset. You might think that we're a little bit too mean to your bike or your brand or whatever, but don't get upset. It's just a fun way to look at a couple bikes in a way that you might not normally look at them. So send us constructive emails to contact at nokamotopodcast.com and remember the title of the new thread started by deep fucking value there's no crying in motorcycles there you go so swigs you have best bike in the world this week i do excellent and are you ready to reveal it i am okay oh fuck my fucking sound effects thing fucking stopped Okay. And the best bike in the world this week is? The Suzuki TL1000R. This is a good bike. Now, it's hard for me to admit it because I was a super hot guy. But this is the sweet spot in between the super hawk and the RC51. It just happened to be made by Suzuki. <laughs> Well, this is the competitor to yes. the RC51. And the for the like half the price. <laughs> Cuz th- this bike uh came out this bike and its uh naked street version, the TL1000S, were direct competitors released in the same year against the Honda Superhawk and the Honda RC51. I, I will tell you what, I am totally on board for the fully fared version. The S version, the street like half fared version, can go fuck itself. It's so ugly, I don't even care. Technically, it is a little bit better on the spec sheet, but it's not a looker. No, but the fully fared one is all things which are 90s sport bike. It is. Now, this bike has so many cool things going for it, except for one area that it falls a little short, which is it only had one race win. So it doesn't have the record or the name recognition that the RC51 does. But quietly, it's a much better bike on paper. Well, it's a little bit better. It's, it, it wins in every regard, but only slightly. So... Well, I think you need to break down like what the engine is, how it's a very different kind of superbike than other superbikes. Right. So this is when some of the Japanese makers were thinking that you know, when the category restrictions were a bit more lax and the definition of a superbike was, you know, a 750 to 800 cc inline 4 or a 1 liter V-twin, everyone was starting to kind of follow Ducati and make one liter V-twins as their superbikes. Well, yeah, because the 916 was just... Ste- and 996 and 998 were just stepping on the Japanese dicks all over the place. Right. So this is another, you know, in quotes, Japanese Ducati, where they were trying to play the same game. So this is a 90-degree V-twin, one-liter bike, just like the RC51 and the Superhawk. Now, uh, this has this was fuel injected, 
had 52 millimeter throttle body injection. It also had uh, gear driven cams. Oh, this was gear driven as well, just like the RC51. This was gear driven cams. Ooh, nice. It had SRAD. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot about SRAD. <laughs> Which I'm still to this day not sure how it's different than just any Ram Ram Air, but no, whatever. it's branding. Yeah, uh, Suzuki Ram, Ram Air Direct. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's yeah, still it's cool. forced injection. Uh, anyway, so then um, this has double. Uh, this has six piston uh, calipers for the brakes. Sweet, very good for the time. It weighs about five to ten pounds less than an RC fifty one. It has a claimed two more horsepower. It has a claimed five more foot pounds of torque. It's also MSRP more than a thousand dollars cheaper in nineteen ninety seven or nineteen ninety eight. Well, and especially today. If you're looking to buy one used, I a really good RC51 these days can go up to well, it's so weird because the market's so inflated right now. But I wouldn't be surprised someone to ask eight thousand dollars for a nice, really clean RC51. I don't think I've ever seen one of these over six. Uh well, I found one just before we started. With like seventeen thousand miles for four grand. Exactly, and this is a lot of bike. This is a lot of bike. Like, is it the is it the top end horsepower of of an inline four one liter? No, but it's all the torque plus more, and it comes in so early. It's it's Buell like. It just bucks. Well, this is also well. Actually, no. These ones it's are such a satisfying zero to sixty, and the forty to to like eighty miles per hour range. The roll on power. Uh, these are a little bit different, actually. These are. I mean, they still are stupid torque. Like, if you're used to six hundreds and whatever, this is a totally different beast. Oh, it is. But um, this is actually a little bit lighter on the low end torque because. It is so tuned for racing. It's basically like saying, well, the torque is awesome on a V-twin, but we want the top-end speed and we want the top-end power. So we're going to just start with a V-twin and we're going to tune it so that it feels as much like an inline-four as we can get it. So it's still super torquey compared to an inline-four, but the bore and stroke is like 98 to 66. Yeah, it's almost square. Yeah. It, it, like, it's absurd. So, now, uh, actually, the, um, the, the TL1000S is more like the Super Hawk, the Super Hawk, where you just have torque everywhere. But this is a little bit more tuned. So you okay. do have to rev it up a bit more. But, yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. It still feels like unlimited roll-on power compared to an inline four. They yes. just do. You can't get away from that with the V-twin like this. 
But then there's also just the styling of it. That's what I was going to say. We because gotta talk about the styling. The it's sty- so good. Especially, I love this in the yellow. The yellow with all the black striping on it. Yeah, that one's good. Because, so this bike is beautiful in a way that it's a little bit ugly. But it's ugly in a way that tells you that it's not fucking around. Okay, I've I've used Adele a few times in describing how bikes <laughs> look. You know how like Adele was a little plump and everyone was like, oh, she'd be like, like she's still sort of attractive when she's plump, like in a weird way. And oh, I bet she'd be so hot if she lost a lot of weight. And then like she lost all the weight and you're like, ah, she doesn't really look any better. Like I kind of wish she puts on a few more pounds again. That's how this bike looks. Like if Adele put on a few more pounds again, right? <laughs> like it's pretty bulbous, right? It looks like it must weigh nearly 600 pounds. <laughs> it's, it is like, you could like, look how like the, um, like the, uh, the, you can barely see the front fender. Like it really doesn't come out more than the nose of the headlight there. Like, it, it, it looks like it might have like a couple light fat rolls, right? It, <laughs> but it's so satisfying. It's 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 better than the six hundred and one liter inline four like GSXRS rads, I think. And there's that almost Hayabusa style tail, and and the super wide ninety sport bike seat. With, uh, has like no cushioning whatsoever. I, I those Suzuki tanks from the time are so good. Uh, everything about it. Oh, the the little cage around the um, around the instruments. It's at the same time super minimalist and over the top. I'm a big yeah. fan. It it's absurd. The like, white wheels are great. Yeah, it it's it's just not fucking around. Oh, it's no. here to do some work. Like it's and it still has. Um, actually, this is kind of an element that is still on. Um, well, it was the last time I rode one on the Jixer 750. It has the same. Uh, the same gate. These are the same gauges I saw. That were on the uh, the modern. I mean, this is a great pod right here, but like the giant dual analog gauges, these are still on as of twenty. Oh, the Jixer seven hundred and fifty. As yeah, yeah. as of twenty eighteen, these are still on the Jixer seven hundred and fifty. These exact gauges, just like dual analog gauges. Yeah. The bike is missing something when it doesn't have that rear seat cover. It doesn't need the rear seat cowl. Yeah. When you've got the when you t- when you take it off to make it look a little bit more plain, it, it's it is missing something cuz it's just it's it makes it more beautiful because of how ugly it is because it's purely there for function. Like if you were actually racing this bike, like yeah, that would be important. But otherwise, without somebody sitting on it, it looks ridiculous. 
I'm going to say as well, this is a bike that looks more correct with the aftermarket pipe, which is something I very rarely say, but it's so much a part of the look of super bikes of the time. Yeah. It, you, you, you got to put a Yosh on this or two brothers or, or, you know, any one of the, the big names, you know, a Remus, you could go cheap even. You just have to have some sort of exhaust with fake carbon fiber, you know? Ah. Oh, I'm so about this era of sport bikes. I'm so about it. Like, like 94 to 2004. It, it's so, oh, it's so good. And, and, you know, it doesn't look as dated as some of these early 2000s bikes. Like, it's no, there's no square swing arm here, right? Uh, there, you've got exposed subframe, but just the right amount. It's got that, there's something about these big, fat Suzuki frames as well. These, these Suzuki big, fat perimeter frames in stark contrast to the Ducati Trellis or what I, who knows how they kept it under 500 pounds with that fucking frame, <laughs> but they did. More power to them. It's fully fared, the belly pan, like every, like, mm. oh, it's so good. Yeah, I have no um, complaints about this. This is this is a proper sport bike from the golden age of sport bikes. Yeah. I found one of these for four grand. I would go for this, but I have made a concerted decision to not buy another twin for at least another bike. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I need to find a single or a triple or an inline four or a V four. Oh, V four. These these are all options, but but yeah, I can't I can't go straight back to another ninety degree V twin. It's not. Is not, the Norse ninety degree? Uh yeah. Oh okay. But that's all Gutsies. I, I didn't realize it was 90. I assumed it being Gootsy, it'd be like 85 degrees. There's some weird shit. 86 and a half. Right. <laughs> okay. Uh, is the is the Rotax in the Aprilia 90 degrees as well? Oh, uh, I think that... Oh, actually, I think that's a 70 degree. Okay. Now that I think about it. Oh, well. All right. Yeah. Cool. Are we ready to move to worst bike in the world this week? I think so. Okay. And the worst bike in the world this week is the 2006, or really 1986 to 2006, but we'll just say the 2006 because it really highlights the point, Kawasaki Vulcan 750. This machine is, it's not a motorcycle. It's a time machine because look up a picture of a 1986 Vulcan 750 and then a 2006 Vulcan 750. And they did not change a single fucking thing. 
Well, at one point it went from rear drum to rear disc. Is this the same? Okay, okay. so looking at this, this is this is the same essential like broad strokes identical to a KZ550. Uh, like broad strokes. No. Because it's it's a V-twin. It's got... No, I mean in terms of like frame, seat, tank, handlebars. Tank's a little bit steeper, but otherwise it it's all fairly close. Uh, no, because it's got it's got a steeper rake. It's got different size forks. It's got different size wheels. It's 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 a lot of okay. So let's start at the beginning. Somewhere in the mid '80s, and you'll hear old people that don't think about this for more than ten seconds go, "Well, the Japanese started copying Harley Davidson in in the '80s, right? And blah blah blah, blah and the Magnum, blah blah, blah Virago, blah blah, blah 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 blah, you know, Vulcan." And that's not true, right? They keep saying that, well, they tried to copy Harley Davidson as if like a bunch of Japanese engineers sat around and went, okay, we got to make something just like Harley Davidson. But as their fingers like approached drawing the exact same lines, it just squiggled off the page. And this was (laughs) as close as they could physically come to copy. No, if they wanted to copy Harley Davidson, they would have made something that looked exactly like Harley Davidson, right? Like they copied British bikes in the sixties and they did that remarkably close. And then they all copied each other with like, to an even closer degree. If they wanted to copy Harley Davidson, they would have copied AMC era Harley Davidson perfectly. They didn't. You know why? Because they never made cruisers until this time. And when the Japanese got around to making cruisers, they thought, we're not going to make these Harley Davidson style fucking tractors. Okay. We're going to bring cruisers up to date a little bit, right? Which is why the Vulcan has, as opposed to a Sportster or a Dyna or whatever, bears much more resemblance to a Magna or a Virago or any of these other 80s metric cruisers, right? I remember one of our uh, cheap biker moves that we missed. Oh, yes, 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 yes. (laughs) Okay, so... um, Right. This is this is a uh, this is a very Japanese look in this bike, and also all the manufacturers came around with, like I said, a sort of Magna, a Marauder, a Vulcan, like so, sort of bike that's just this setup. You know this style of bike, and in nineteen eighty something, this was a cutting edge look. It really, there was a reason people bought a shit ton of them, right? It's motorcycling's dirty little secret that as Harley Davidson was really just starting to become super retro, you know, with the same kind of guy, like with the same rise of people that were like, oh, Mopar, 1969 Camaro, Golden Age, Bolin shirts and flame and dice forever. And I'm just going to live out my 19 year old fantasy and never develop a taste for anything else ever in my life. Right. The Japanese went, well, let's let's focus on people that are going to evolve somewhat. And they sold a shit ton of these bikes to them. There was no problem with this bike in 1980-whatever. 
right? It's got two carburetors for a liquid-cooled V-twin. They did move to a rear disc. It makes a decent amount of power for a 750 twin. It's that 60-whatever-something, like 66 horsepower that you just expect a cruiser to make. I want to say this was like 55 foot-pounds of torque, like somewhere in there. So what? what's bad about this bike? I'm just about to get to that. So we we've explained everyone. I'm, I'm I'm sort of breaking the myths of why everyone shits on these bikes normally, right? Because I, I mean, again, it's a respectable only 483 pounds, very light for a 750 V twin cruiser from the 80s, right? Um, you have five speed trans- transmission, shaft drive. I mean, technology, you know, electric start and all the thing for for mid eighties. All the technology is remarkably up to date, right? Um, yeah, because you're totally selling me on this bike right now. I want to know why it's bad. And the price was um, the the I can't remember the price of it, but converted to today's dollars. Uh, from when it was new up until 2006 was only something like seven and a half or like a little bit under eight or around $8,000 in today's money. So it was a good bargain bike as well of, of decent quality. Here's the problem. They were still selling it in 2006 unchanged. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. That's the problem. Was that, it wait? Was it still carbureted? Well, I guess two, in yes, 2006, in two thousand six, it was still yeah. carbureted. Now, let me explain to you what a disaster this is. It just in how far behind and how over the hill and outdated it was by two thousand and six. I want you to guess. Even in the current inflated used bike market pricing, what the average retail is on a 2006 Vulcan 750? Well, it's going to be extreme because you're asking. And it's so it's it's carbureted. I'm going to I can see it's still rear drum dual shock. There's no name recognition whatsoever for it. I'm going to say $1,700. It's $1,600. Yeah. That's pretty good. Now, that's inflated. Now, I shall have you know that I was doing some digging into this, and I can't find this specific metric for bikes, but as compared to January 2019, January 2020, and January 2021, the average retail on just any used car across the board is up 40, uh, sorry, 14%. Right. So we have to assume it's something similar for motorcycles. So the average retail on this bike is $1,600. Now, the new price for this was $6,300, right? Mm-hmm. Which adjusted for today's money is somewhere a little under $8,000, right? So we would expect 10 to 15 years on a vehicle to hit its lowest value 
somewhere around 30 to 40 percent of original retail, right? You give or take. How many years on, do you say? Like between 10 and 15 years. Uh, yeah. I'd say 25 to 35, but yeah, about there. Okay. So if we conclude that this is artificially high by 14%, right? We're really looking at something closer to $1,400, right? Which if you convert that back into $2,006, this is at somewhere around 19% of original MSRP in value. I have never seen a bike lose so much value as a Vulcan 750. I think this is worst bike in the world this week because it is so undesirable. It's reflected in the math of the car. And that's for a good one. That's like a, a decent low miles good one. $1,600 in this inflated market. There is no other bike I'm aware of that is worth so little compared. And normally bargain bikes hold a huge amount of MSRP as compared to high end bikes, right? Normally your, your bikes that would cost $6,000 are still worth like wise, 20. Yeah. yeah percent are still holding this is a bargain bike that is worth the least. It almost makes me feel like getting the, the CB 1000 was a ripoff. Right. <laughs> At a buck a CC. Yeah. Wow. That's just how much people do not want any part of this. When, even though it's 2006 it screams to people 80s trying to be something it's not. Even though it wasn't bad, it was a legitimate, you know, stylish thing. And it was up-to-date technology-wise and whatever. But it outstayed its welcome so long, I am not aware of any other bike that has depreciated this much. This is like... You know, this is kind of this is the polar opposite of well, no, it kind of is also the same, but I'm I want to compare this to the Texas Instruments TI-84 calculator. The calculator okay. that everybody thought you could sell for $80. And we're just going to do that for 30 years. And you know what? It's just always going to be worth $80 hey, in it, perpetuity. It will doom in its defense. <laughs> uh, no, I'm talking about the, the scientific accuracy, not the programmable one. Oh, not the graphing? Or, oh, no, the 81, uh, the 84 is the graphing calculator. Yeah. Yeah. But the 84 and the 86 were the big models. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? They were hot shit for a long time. But it only took like a moment and all of a sudden completely obsolete. Now, I can imagine somebody buying this in in 2000 or 2001, 2004 
I bought one in 99 or 2000. Yeah. And, you know, it kind of, it's like, oh, water cool. It's, you know, it's following a trend of like a style I've seen before that I'm experienced with. And it, it makes sense. It's fairly cheap. But at a moment's notice, as things go fuel injected, as we start getting rear discs, as the styling updates, all of a sudden there's just one day where it's just absolutely not. This is complete trash. Why would anybody go in for this in any way whatsoever? It makes no sense. This is insanity. Like, there are yeah. no college kids today buying TI-84s because technology progresses and they have smartphones. Yeah, there's and a free app that does it. Yeah. Like, the world doesn't work that way anymore. Yeah, this is... Uh, I mean, I can understand why at the time, even in like 2006, you might still like be like... This should be on the way out, but kind of understand while it's still there. Look, all you need to know is at the bottom of this picture you're looking at, it says Kawasaki Vulcan 750 specs, 84, 85, 86, 87, 88, 89, all the way up to 2000. The specs never (laughs) change. It's the exact same fucking bike. They just... They just replaced the drum with uh with a disc brake in, I wanna say around like oh one probably. This is like well, this is like taking all of the comedy out of one piece at a time. Yeah. <laughs> He's got an 84, 84, 85, 86, 87, 88, 89 Vulcan 750. It's a 90, 91, 92, 93 Vulcan 750. <laughs> Honey, take me for a spam. Yeah. Okay. I uh, I think we're done. Should we take yeah, a break and take move a on? Break and come back with our cheap biker moves. <laughs> Let's do the thing. All right. And we're back with the main body of this episode, which after last week's rousing success of Moto Fads, we've got a very similar list. Cheap biker moves. Okay. So let's start with the one that we teased. Reusing tubes. Now, yeah, this is amazing because this isn't just something that cheap bikers do. This is something that super duper cheap ass shops do. As we've discovered. Yeah. As compared to the price of the tires, which well, actually, will, will be cheaper than the tubeless equivalents. Well, I will say, I, I won't say it was a cheap shop. Well, this is definitely a cheap shop move. The the shop that did the work that this happened to us through is not a cheap shop. I think this was an oversight in their case. But I don't know. This maybe. is like a dumb thing to do. Yeah. So you need to know that. I, 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 okay. Tubeless tires are. I don't know what order of magnitude, but some crazy order of magnitude safer than tube tires. For many reasons, 
But primarily the big one is that well, it removes it removes the point of failure. Right. So the valve stem itself and, and the valve on the tube are they're not it's not it's exposed. There's a hole in the tire where the the fucking valve comes out and just the tube itself there is exposed. Now this doesn't seem like a big deal, but you know, that tire goes around and around and around and around and it's near the road. And it's near things that can hit it and ping it and, and whatever. And it's exposed to UV and the weather and whatever. And it will just at some point fucking well, fail. On it's you. a piece of unbalanced weight that the whole time the motorcycle is moving is under constant acceleration. Yeah, there's that too. Yeah, and it'll shift in position. So like the 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 stem is like up against that hole in the tire that it's sticking out. The tube tires are just prone to fail a lot more than tubeless tires. And guess what you need to do every time you replace your tires replace the fucking tubes so you have less likelihood of them failing on you which even from new tubes every time is going to be a lot higher than it is for tubeless tires but whatever there's nothing you can do about it you got a bike with tubeless with tube tires now in fairness if you just replace the tube every time you replace your tires this is fine. It's okay. It's not as great a solution. And it's kind of weird that we're still doing this. But if you don't want to pay for the expensive rims where they've like properly welded and sealed the rims with spoked wheels. And you want spoked wheels on a modern bike. But you don't want to pay for all the fancy tech and the processing to to do it with tubeless tires. So I, you have a Harley Davidson then it's fine. You know, the W650 had it, and this was never an issue, and for most W650 owners, if you did all the proper things, you know, it's it's not the best solution. It's not it's not impervious to any fault. It's not the best, but it's it's fine. Well, it is the reason that Vespas carry a spare tire. Right. So, The issue here is that if you just decide, oh, well, the tire's worn out, but I'm just going to keep the tube. This is where the bullshit happens. And this is, this is where the cheap bikers roll the dice. Yeah, there's a lot of places to save a buck. Your tires and your brakes, not the places. Yeah. So, a uh, close cousin of reusing tubes guy, wearing tires down to the cords. Well, no, we should guy. we should uh, add in. Um, we, we should uh, elaborate on uh, what happened to us on our last big motorcycle trip, which is that Dad lost a wager. Oh, yes. He decided (laughs) that his Harley was going to be the most reliable bike on this 1,500-mile road trip that we took. And he was out first with this problem, a a valve stem failing because the tube had been reused. 
And, you know, we Fortunately, argued... it happened at like 30 miles an hour through a construction zone as opposed to... Right. As opposed to at highway speeds. But yeah, he had an old tube that was reused on the Harley that probably had its last tire change five or six years earlier. Right. Like that, those tires were worn down and they were old. And they took the same tube and put it back in. And he had his tire rapidly deflate because the entire stem on that tie on that inner tube ripped off completely and his tire didn't just like go flat it rapidly deflated in a couple seconds well thank goodness it was the rear tire as well yeah when that happens on the front bad news bears yeah so don't reuse your tubes people um yeah and again it goes without saying uh this is like wearing tires down to the cords guy uh if you're wearing your tires down to the cords you knew it was gonna happen you don't just look back there and go oh i had no idea my tires were worn you've been looking at those tires for the last few months at the minimum going i should probably replace these but I'm cheap. Yeah, this is like the casual hoarder syndrome of like noticing that a problem is happening and thinking that acknowledging the problem is enough. Well, I want to I want to say one of the reasons I was thinking about doing cheap biker moves is I've been talking to some of my uh, my female employees about this. Uh, the 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 customer that comes into the restaurant that perplexes me the most is let's try to see if I can haggle over the price guy. And I've been asking my female employees, like, is there anything? And I didn't use these words, but my, my general sentiment was or what I was asking generally some could be summarized as does anything make your pussy drier than someone who's fucking cheap? like unnecessarily cheap, right? <laughs> right? Because in today's like Instagram social media world, we're all aware that nobody's shit is really as together as it seems, but everybody is able to sort of cobble together one aspect of their life that is somewhat exceptional, right? You excel yeah. or have one nice thing. Maybe your whole thing is that you live in the shittiest apartment ever. You've got a crappy job, but somehow you got a Tesla Model 3. Like, you know what I mean? Everyone's got, everyone is managing to project at least one thing. When you are unbelievably unnecessarily, unnecessarily cheap, it projects that you have nothing together. Everything's a disaster. There's nothing desirable you have splurged on. You are just going to be difficult about everything, right? Even in today's world where you only have to find one thing to project on the internet to make it seem like your shit's together, you may not even be able to do that, right? right. So. When you are riding a motorcycle and you think, I must look so fucking cool on my motorcycle, whilst that bike is parked, 
anyone that sees those fucking cords showing or how worn out that rear tire is, all your cool is deleted. Just know that. Yeah. That was too much explanation for why <laughs> you shouldn't let your cord show. But Okay, let's move on because this is a big list. Okay. So reusing your oil filter or just trying to filter and reuse your oil, which is a move, uh, plus reusing crush washers. Basically not really doing oil changes. <laughs> well, here's, here's the question. Unless you ride like some ridiculous bullshit like what I buy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All the efforts you go to to like cheapen your oil change, is it worth your time? Because on most bikes these days, you're going to spend what? Maybe $20 in oil? Maybe $15 on a filter? And a dollar on a crush washer. How much time do you have to concoct this ridiculous scheme to filter your oil and reuse it? Or to come up with all these different ways other than pure negligence? What are you saving on an oil on an oil change? Yeah. Okay. We got to move through this list quick. So I'm going to um, include... Rotella guy in this. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> Rotella guy is an interesting breed of cheapster. And I'm sorry, Phil, if you're listening to this, but I, this is a, this is a special breed of cat, which is like, well, I could spend $44 on the recommended oil per the manufacturer for the four liters of oil, you know, the fancy brand of good 10W40 or whatever I actually need specific for my bike. Or for like $60, I could go buy like a 10-gallon barrel of Rotella fucking Walmart brand diesel engine oil that'll do like my next 9 to 11 oil changes. <laughs> for the, And I'll just have this oil sitting around in this giant jar and I'll, you know what? I'm going to go over the recommended mileage as well for it. I'm going to go 6,000 miles in between oil changes using this Rotella cheap as shit bull crap. Like th this guy is spending more money up front to be un to go. I'm going to live the dream of like an $8 oil change. Well, let's examine that for a moment. If we just think, just imagine your home as a commercial property and think about like what the returns you're getting on per square foot of your property. If you treated your home like a business, just the amount of floor space that you would need to keep a 10 gallon drum of Rotella in your garage for the five to 10 years it would take for you to use all of that oil in your motorcycle. It doesn't make financial sense. 
Well, I yeah, I you know what? It, it, well, here's the thing though. Like we need Rotella guy, right? Like so Rotella is the yin to the Amsoil yang, right? <laughs> like they both have to exist or else the universe implodes. Right? <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> like, I'm not telling Rotella guy that the Rotella doesn't work, per se, because because there, there are there are many many grumpy old men on forums. They're like, I've got seventy three thousand miles on this CB one sixty out of Rotella, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, bro, that's fine. <laughs> Look, but, if you if you own like a 100 acre farm and you've got like an old F150 that you haven't registered in the last 20 years and then you just drive that across your farm all the time and you fill that with Rotella top marks. Yeah, but anything that I don't know if Rotella needs to go into any non-diesel vehicle that is actually registered that you're paying insurance on. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I, what? I mean, you know, it's just I for for all those people that want to get into the old man territory of like, you know, whatever. It's this viscosity, and that's all that matters. And breakdown, and age, and wear, and RPM, and all that. Cra- you know, have at it do your do your back of the back of the 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 napkin science on whether that's worth it and good you know what i just go with manufacturer's recommendations that's the oil i put in that that's what you, you, people are like I, I don't think there's any oil you can use that's better than the manufacturer's recommendation i just don't Okay, yeah. let, let's move on to a more fun one, all right? Because like the fads, there's a couple of these that we support, okay? So the next one is Improvised Luggage Guy. Hero. It, he's a legend. Improvised like This up there with Homemade Pontoon Boat Guy, right? <laughs> and it's a very similar phenomenon, right? Well, I've got this shit lying around. Why do I need to spend money? And at least this is one that the end functional result is the same pretty much. Yeah. So uh, I don't know why, but a milk crate or whatever, it, it always brings a smile to me, especially on a KLR 650. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love that guy here in your building who's got like it's I think it's a Honda Shadow with or it might be a Vulcan 900 with um it's 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 straight up Harbor Freight toolboxes. It's the Harbor Freight toolboxes and he's wired his own speakers up as well. I think he's even got the rear ones like mounted into the fucking Harbor Freight boxes. Yes. <laughs> hero. Absolute hero. He knows exactly what he's doing. But this is 
an unbelievably cheap move, especially when you one can find if you don't need your luggage to match your paint or whatever, if you've got a bike where just some regular black bags will go on and that's not going to dramatically hurt things, right? You can find used actual purpose-built motorcycle luggage on Craigslist almost any day of the week for 50 to to $100. Leather, hard bags, whatever. They're out there. But... No, you need to get this done for $27.35, apparently. <laughs> and whatever hardware is sitting on your workbench in jars, in old peanut butter jars. Well, there's another element to this as well, which most people, you know, people walking past it on the street will not appreciate, which is if you have tastefully done improvised luggage... That's major street cred. Well, yeah, because, yeah, because <laughs> it's most often done as someone just inventing some sort of bizarre rear rack and then screwing like a milk crate or some sort of box or something to that. When they do the improvised luggage on both sides matching, like th then it's like, oh, this was the better part of an afternoon. Like, this took at least 11 beers, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love it. But it is it is a cheap move. <laughs> okay, let's... Um, Okay, let's let's do another like face reality one before we go to a super fun. Uh I just wrote down mechanics gloves. And that's mechanics with an X. Yeah. So <sighs> Okay. So, so at some point gardening gloves became tactical. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah so this is this is kind of one of this is one of the areas where it's look if you want to have proper look if you don't want to look just I, be honest about not look, wanting to wear gloves look, i come from a place of i both strongly recommend that every single person Wear an ECE or a Snell or a Snell rated motorcycle helmet. And you're a fucking idiot if you don't. But I also, just on principle, support everybody's right to not wear a helmet. Similarly, but without as much conviction, I also believe everybody should wear proper motorcycle gloves that are rated for a slide based on whatever yeah, it's more a than a shoulder injury you are putting your ability to work at risk yes especially as somebody who works with computers i would prefer that my hands survive a slide right now if you don't want to wear gloves then don't wear gloves. It's on you. You are the master of your own destiny. Roll the dice as you please. 
this whole concept of wearing non-motorcycle gloves that will only appear to be motorcycle gloves but will not actually save you in an actual accident i don't understand this well it's totally backwards too because they wear out super fast they're like oh i can just go by the gas station or walmart and buy the mechanics that's mechanics with an x brand work gloves and they've got this like rubber across the knuckles and they look like they do something and i'm going to pay 17 dollars, but they're going to disintegrate and eight months later i'll need to spend 17 dollars again and again and again whereas if you just spent 120 dollars on proper motorcycle gloves the same pair would have lasted all the way through at the same cost <laughs> with real protection the whole time <laughs> The mechanics gloves also have, and this is brilliant. It's penny smart and pound foolish. The the insane thing about the mechanics gloves is they have fake double stitching. Oh, yeah. That's great, too. (laughs) Well, Well, you know, I have to say they do make sense in this one instance where if you are trying to project the idea that a you're unbelievably cheap and can't afford gloves b your <laughs> motorcycle <laughs> b your anti-safety and c your motorcycle is so unreliable that you may have to pull over at any minute and work on it with your mechanics gloves <laughs> then these are just the ticket yeah You've got all bases covered. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So close relative of mechanics gloves guy. This next one I've written is car hearted up. Yeah. So there's this idea that simply thickness will equal safety. Because I have seen a shocking number of people just riding in car hearts in warm weather. They're just like, Oh, I guess this must be protective. There's a sort of working class Harley car heart sort of look that some people go for. And this is a weird one because car hearts are kind of expensive. <laughs> this is just simply, well, I'm going to ride. I've already got this. Here we go. Yeah. It, well, yeah. It, I don't know if this is so much. I mean, in a way it is a cheap biker move because the, there are a lot of people who would buy a motorcycle and not know what to get who also would own a lot of Carhartt, like on a whim, and just say, oh, well, I'm just going to wear the car. Well, there's also a lot of fake. Yeah, fake car. There's a lot of fake Carhartt as well. But I don't... I. You know, I'm actually going to questions. I don't know if this is a cheap biker move. I think it is. I think it's, well, I've already got the Carhartt, and oh. that's a look, so I'll just go with that instead of actually purchasing something to ride in. Right. Yeah. 
By the way, C-Flex and D3O is pretty magical. Right. I have <laughs> saved tens of thousands of dollars in hospital bills because of those materials. Right. Um, okay. Here, let, let's, let's be mean to sport bikes again for a second. Um, painting your own rims slash chain. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so the moment that paint is dry, you start regretting this move. Yeah. So it turns out that you can't actually just paint aluminum. It doesn't <laughs> work that well. Or Serlin or loads of other commonly well, I guess Serlin's not that popular. Serlin's dye and mold plastic. So right. no. But but yeah. Turns out just painting metal that's under constant acceleration does not work. Surprise, surprise. There's a reason you have to anodize it to actually paint it a certain color, which is why it's so expensive. Or you powder coat it. Not yes. something you can just do at home. <laughs> Turns out you can't just spray paint metal. Like why? And, and, and again, why is it anodized or why is it, are they powder coated rims? Because a lot of fucking rocks get kicked up at these things. And this is why. <laughs> so first of all, the paint job starts to look shitty as soon as it dries. Uh, universally no one actually removes the tire to do this they just try to tape up the tire so there's overspray and underspray all over the place you've only got to look at the very edge the rim of the rim to go oh this is bullshit well also even if you do successfully get a paint of coat over an aluminium wheel even just like thermal expansion and exposure to UV will just lift the paint off of the rim. Like well, right. it just does not work. Well, also it's always just a couple degrees off the color of the rest of the bike. Like, I'm sorry. Like you, even if you actually roll your bike into Ace Hardware, like they're not going to make up a can of like the right color for you in that rattle can that you've sprayed all this shit with. It, it's always off, and it's obviously off, right? And the the self-delusion that you are just going to spray paint these rims and they're going to look fucking awesome. And I, I guess like they, they some dude some person imagine imagines themselves like rolling up like to the the that opening like biker village shop sort of scene in torque with their freshly painted up rims and everyone's <laughs> like whoa check out dave with his new painted rims <laughs> and even what? the moment the job is done it's still a disaster. It's a disaster. And it goes downhill quickly. It's what? Eight days before there's noticeable paint that's been knocked off by just rocks on the road. Right? Yeah. yeah when you really analyze like what actually happens, 
it's shocking how many times I have seen this in the wild. But then let's talk about this special breed of cat that fortunately this, I mean, this is one of those motorcycle fads that we missed and, and also the listeners missed, which was getting a chain that was the same color as your bike or rims. This was a big sport bike thing for a minute, having a color match chain. And Well, actually, uh, it was the other way around, which was anodizing your wheels to be the same color as your chain. Well, yeah, with the gold chain or silver chains or whatever. But it also went the other way, like getting a getting a, a chain of a certain color too. So anyway, in a super cheap attempt to do this, people for a while with disastrous results were just spinning that back wheel and spray painting the side of their chain. And I remember talking to you about this and you went, but wouldn't that compromise the chain? And I said, well, yes, yes, it would (laughs) compromise the chain. But in, in the, you know, sport bikes for a minute, there had this air of fashion that I could only describe like is, is really only equaled in like, the European like skiing community, right? Yeah. In terms of super fetishy small details and high like, style and it, super glam rock. Yeah. <laughs> so um yeah, yeah. Couldn't even be couldn't even be bothered to spend oh also the majority of these colored chains were super low quality chains, by the way. Like these weren't two hundred dollar chains; these were like the eighty dollar chains that became colored. I think that's even optimistic. Yeah, <laughs> this is this is a cheap biker move. Okay, um, okay. Uh, closely related to this, I just wrote down here: sprocket denial. Go. Okay. Well. This is this is kind of a little bit of a borderline one because this is this is a mix between cheap biker move and straight neglect. Yes, but it's it's like the person that it's it's well it's almost exactly the same thing as the person that just it, it is the same as the replacing oil their brake pads but because they haven't changed their rotors even though they've been told eight times they need new rotors their brake pads keep wearing unevenly and prematurely fast this person is because their sprocket is all fucked up ripping through chains at an unbelievable rate yeah. and they're bad about the front sprocket and they're bad about the rear sprocket and i have noticed that old guys are especially bad about this. And the reason is, is that they owned some bikes back in the day and the bikes either completely disintegrated <laughs> before they needed a new sprocket or they sold the bike before they needed a new sprocket, or they've just always kind of had new bikes. And it's never a thing that they were really aware of as a thing that needed to be changed. Yes. Like there's a lot of old guys that just, you know, this is, this is like cords guy, like guy wearing tire down to the cords. They, they've just never experienced either through the fact of never having a bike in particular all that long or riding it all that long that it, 
this item would wear down that much. So they, even though they see it disintegrating, their cheapness is emboldened by the fact that this is not in their world an obvious wear item. Yeah. Now, everybody who listens to this podcast thinks this is an insane concept. But you need to understand that there's at least like 60 to 70% of the population who gets into their car on a Monday and doesn't just look at the odometer and be like, hmm, when did I last change the oil? Or how much gas have I got left? How much is on the trip meter? Like this... I think most of the people who listen to this podcast are kind of in that mindset, are aware of what's happening with their vehicles. But like 70 to 80% of the population does not do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's countdown to Armageddon. When do you check your tire pressure? When there's a flat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So sprocket denial. And again, this is another uh, penny smart pound foolish. Like you you are going to just rip through chains and front sprockets because your rear sprocket is worn to fuck. Well, I mean, if you're a dick and you want to just sell your bike quickly, it's kind of a good move. Here's a hint. They shouldn't be pointy. (laughs) Right? So, yeah. All right. Um, oh, this next one's fun. Just Alibaba anything. Yeah. I think it speaks for itself. <laughs> I don't well, know. okay. I, I blame Walmart. Okay. So somewhere around 1992, Walmart was selling a lot of shit that was cheaper and like 90% is good, right? People mm-hmm. used to say, oh, we well, can get the same thing at Walmart for like $4 less or whatever. And then people started saying, oh, yeah, I've got the crappy Walmart version, right? But for a lot of people, it exists because what Walmart was doing in the 90s was a trick, it wasn't real. These were artificially low prices for what were still the same goods because we hadn't yet moved so much manufacturing to China. And Walmart yeah. was just demanding lower prices from their suppliers. And they were just kind of being forced to do it as these big box stores and Walmarts were just opening more and more and more around the country and then super Walmarts. So it was the... It was artificially low price for the same goods, and the burden was being placed on the manufacturers. This, yeah, this is where this was the moment where all of America had to just grit its teeth and acknowledge that Michael Moore was right. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, right. So some people never saw the truth on this, or 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 they bought. There's a certain there's a certain type of person that bought a stereo or a TV or a piece of furniture or something from Walmart between 1989 and 1997 
and were so chuffed with themselves about what a deal they got on a semi-quality, not complete garbage thing. And they're chasing that dragon, right? They think <laughs> they can do it again, right? And, 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 you know, and the internet plays into this, right? Like you don't just buy – you don't just call up an airline and buy a ticket. You have to spend six hours searching for the cheapest possible airline ticket, right? And so when you finally find that cheap airline ticket, it doesn't matter what the cost is. It seems less because you've got you've just gone through all these different numbers. Then you're like, ha ha, good thing I'm buying this airline ticket. Some other fucking idiot would have spent a hundred dollars <laughs> more, right? So Alibaba does the same thing. And there are people that buy grips that will disintegrate. Uh probably the led headlights are one of the worst um just all kinds of shit body kits heated oh grips that will set your bike on fire <laughs> just, or like the bravest alibaba purchaser of all time for me is anyone who buys alibaba handlebars Oh wow! Like, yeah, yeah. That's I thought that's you were going to say like move. I thought you were going to get into like batteries or electronic components. Like the, I have gone pretty cheap on some things like starter relay switches and whatever, but I've never even gone to Alibaba on that. I'm not gonna fuck around with handlebars and Alibaba. If you have and you've done a thousand miles, you're a legend. Yeah, like what not you're not a legend. You're just kind of lucky. Like, I... Alibaba, for when Yuasa feels a little pricey. <laughs> right? <laughs> <sighs> yeah, Alibaba anything is a mistake. I, I love those episodes of Motorcycles and Misfits where... Uh, <laughs> Where they just order like $50 worth of random shit off Alibaba and they go through it. And, and, and <laughs> Liza is always hoping that one of these items is going to connect and none of them ever do. Like everyone is always like, what is this pile of garbage you brought to the show? <laughs> What is it? Like, none of this is any good. And, and Liza's like, well, I don't know. This one, there might be something to this. Like, it's kind of like, like that scene. And oh, this is a real deep dive. Uh, that movie, Tin Cup, where, like, he loses his mojo <laughs> for a minute. And, like, his girlfriend, like, comes into his trailer and catches him like he's jerking off with, like, a bunch of golf gadgets. And there's, like, this weird pendulum, like, visor thing. He's like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Something to this pendulum visor thing. Like, if you are buying off of Alibaba, that is the level of self delusion that you have sunk to. Uh, <laughs> now, <coughs> I'm just thinking of all the. You know, I've mentioned Tin, uh, tin Cup to a lot of people like both American and British and tried to find somebody 
Who can remember this film? It's Gulf's Bull Durham. <laughs> Nobody remembers this film. Oh, this is the this is the movie that popularized the um, the creepy golf instructor rear hip grab move. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Every creepy golf instructor has to get a little too close with it. Oh, you move your hips this way, girl. <laughs> so, but th- this is also um, this is also like just because of the weird kind of because. We only saw films in English with Japanese subtitles, like on cable TV. In oh yeah, Japan. <laughs> for like a six-year stint. Yeah. <laughs> so every time, like, if I hear somebody who knows of Tin Cup, the first question I have to ask is, "Do you remember the Quick and the Dead?" Oh wow! Yeah, that's another deep, deep dive. Which is weird because. It's a fucking Leonardo DiCaprio movie. Right. (laughs) Which nobody remembers. Like the man in the iron mask. Well, no, everyone remembers the the man in the iron mask, but they wish that they hadn't. Do they? Does everyone? (laughs) Okay. All right. They do. They wish they didn't. Okay. (laughs) We've really got to get through this list. Okay. Um, Okay. This is a fun one. Off-brand Cena or Cardo. Yeah, well, you know this is this is this one is a little bit sad just because <laughs> <laughs> a little bit sad. Okay, no, because so th- this is one that's I won't say. Well, let me rephrase. It, it's unfortunate. Because of the fact that ultimately you want to have a Bluetooth helmet sit, uh, system. But because of the fact that voice recognition is built into it. The Bluetooth, the voice recognition, the microphone, and the speakers are all bought as one item. And because of that, if you haven't experienced one of the the premium systems before, you you might think like, oh, well, it's just, this is an audio system for my helmet. The scene is $150, and this off-brand one is $50. So I'm going to buy the $50 one. And it's going to be just as good because I'm all I'm going to do is listen to music or I'm going to play Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever on my phone. And it's going to be just as good. But it's not because there's these five or six different components that fit into it. And it's always a disappointment. It's going to be the tittiest sound you've ever heard that's going to drive you nuts after half an hour. It's going to be really poor battery life, which is going to be a constant problem if you're commuting and listening to it. The Cena and Cardo are already a nightmare to pair with other people. You are going to become the least popular person on the road trip 
because it's going to be fucking impossible to to connect to you or no. stay connected to you. And you're always going to be like, well, let's just try again at the next gas stop and waste another 45 minutes no. trying to hopelessly well, pair hey, these hey, things hey, together. No. no, Peter, it's a nightmare for me. You just can't follow instructions. <laughs> <laughs> but is it or is it not worse with the opera? It, it, it just is. Okay. It is It is a mission. There are subtleties for each brand that you need to understand. You need to dive in in depth to understand what's actually going on. It's at least two thirds of the way to a computer science degree. <laughs> which... <laughs> Is a lot of work, but also not as much work as you think it is. So, <laughs> so yeah, it, well, the cheapness comes in in this sort of this is this is very much like the Alibaba thing. Like I think I can find a product for so much less that's going to do the same thing. You're chasing that dragon on this one, but. The real crime here is the pain you inflict on everyone else around you because you insist on trying to get it to pair with other people. And it's it's just always a disaster. Yeah. Th- until there's any sort of movement or lobbying to have a distributed model that's like open source that everyone can follow the same format and you buy into it, just understand that whether it's just or not if you buy a third party i say third it's not really third party if you buy a bargain if you buy anything other than cena or cardo and you expect to connect to other people then you're just being unreasonable and that's the state of the market yeah, it I, shouldn't be that way but you're being unreasonable. Just understand if you want to buy off-brand that doesn't conform to Cena or Cardo, then you're on your own island. Yes. And you're just going to have to deal with that. Also, you're cheating yourself for an extra $40. You could just get a used Seta SMH10. That is a perfectly good Bluetooth unit. Is it anywhere near as fancy as the new ones? No. But does it do those basic things competently? Yes. Are you going to have to spend $120? Yes. But it's bulletproof. It lasts fucking forever. It's well made. It's easy to operate. It sounds good. I mean, I could talk for like six hours on this topic, but right. I will spare all of you. Okay. All I'm going to say is if you want life to be easy, coordinate with your friends and get the same brand. All right. Next, this this next one's interesting. This one doesn't sound like a cheap biker move at first, but in practice, it so is. Uh, handlebar muffs or hippo hands. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So my theory on this one, and this this is going a little ways, but stay with me, right? You would think to yourself, well, this is a... This is an add-on that you have to spend some money on, and I'm not really aware of too many bargain brands of this product. You know, there's there's the Hippo, I think it's called Hippo Hands, like the, the big brand make of them or whatever, and it's this thing you buy and it comes with some bracketry and it's these big 
like they look like neoprene or whatever. Um, like, yeah, giant glove things that slip on over the handlebars. Well, hang on. Oh, yeah, you've got a pair of them sitting here that are a perfect example of the phenomena that I'm talking about. So as you go to the closet and bring these over. All right, so these are bar mitts, which they are like, yeah, they are like neoprene wetsuit. Yeah, uh, they're they're odd. Um, so here's the reason that these are cheap. I don't believe that a single like person of like any nation, anyone who's a citizen of any nation recognized by the UN has purchased a pair of these new in box with any kind of legal, like recognized currency since the eighties. <laughs> yeah. Right. I think that there's a lot of people who are, who are going, okay, my hands get cold when I ride. I could buy better gloves. I could get heated grips. I could get heated gloves, but that's over a hundred dollars. Someone told me that their uncle Jeff has a pair of bar mitts in the garage. I'll go over and ask them if I can have them. Well, no, what I'll do is offer them 15 bucks and they'll say, just take them. And then that's only the beginning of the train wreck. Because inevitably, the bar mitts will not come with the brackets that attach to the handlebars. Because what happens when you ride with these without those brackets that are essentially like bark busters is these gloves catch an unbelievable amount of wind. And so you either have to ride putting all of your attention and strength into your fingers to stop them from compressing simultaneously the front brake and the clutch, or you just ride wearing down your front brake and your clutch. It's no way to live. It is no <laughs> way to live. Plus, I let's not delude ourselves. This is a dorky look. And it just screams cheap. Uh, I don't know if it screams cheap if it's done well, but in 90% of the bar mitts are covered in dust. They they were on a show. They were on like the, the kind of person you know, where these are dug up. Like these came off a piece of like restaurant Metro shelving that someone decided would work well in their garage instead of real shelving. So, <laughs> right someone had it had like a, a nephew that worked at some restaurant that got shut down and they went hmm i wonder if i can go around and find some old shelving at this restaurant being shut down because i'm not gonna buy shop shelving for my garage and then the bar mitts got placed on those so like You'll often see on the bars like some little crisscross pattern of like rust from the cheap, <laughs> <laughs> and the bracketry got lost a long time ago. Because guess what? Everything falls off of those shelves. 
<laughs> Those shelves are only designed to hold things inside milk crates. <laughs> and that's why you got them for free. And that is the environment you went into to get these bar mitts. So guess what's going to look shitty on your motorcycle? The mitts. If you purchase them from new, that's fine. But it, I have yet to see an example of someone owning Never a pair. witnessed it. It never doesn't. And every time I have ridden a bike that somebody installed bar mitts on, it's been an immediate fail. Immediate. Like, this does not work. Well, also, I have never also... Also, I have never witnessed a person who has purchased new and installed bar mitts. Yeah. It doesn't exist in nature. <laughs> it would be like meeting a person with a perfectly spherical head. <laughs> okay. I think we have to move on. Okay. All right. This next one's a big one. This is going to ruffle some people's feathers. Dark siding. I'll put the kettle on. Well, <laughs> this is insane. Okay. Even if you suppose this is a perfectly... Hold on. For people that don't know what dark siding is, there's very few of them, but just... Okay, so while the kettle's going, let's just really fast. Yes. Okay. Look. Okay. So for people who don't know, dark siding are people who own cruisers who, to save money, put car tires on their rear wheels. Oh, I've seen this done on a concourse. Front and back. <laughs> well, that's a whole nother level. Uh, but it's not just cruisers. It's any kind of cheap <laughs> asshole. But the idea is to put a car tire on your rear wheel. Because car tires last so much longer, you're going to save money and... I guess that that's really the whole end game is well, to save money on your rear tire. Except there's this insane uh, idea that, uh, okay. Wow. Um, well, first there, there's this whole subsection that you have to divide out of the people who actually acknowledge and those who don't acknowledge that the bike feels any different. With a car tire. <laughs> well, how okay. deep do you want to go? This this is a this is this is another like flat Earth like argument. Well, no, this isn't flat Earth argument. This is like um like Kennedy assassination conspiracy, where en just enough people believe it that it's somehow like considered rude to call somebody out on this being insane right 
like just because of that fucking Oliver Stone movie, you can announce like <laughs> that you're into JFK conspiracies and people like somehow give it more credibility than you saying you believe in fucking pixies, right? It's fucking idiocy, but somehow this has just enough legs that you're like, well, I mean, just let some people believe what they're going to believe or whatever. No, people will argue. Some people will argue that dark siding, putting car tires on your motorcycle is not just better from a cost perspective, but has improved handling and grip. And this is crazy territory. Not only that, like, let's think, perhaps in just purely a straight line, there's something to this. But guess what you have to do frequently? No. Turn. And car tires are not meant to be ridden on the edge. Look, find me a photograph from the 19. 10s, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, or 60s of a motorcycle with a car tire on it. Because this, given that cars were invented before motorcycles. Well, kind of concurrently, really. Well, concurrently, but also the whole the whole profile and form factor of a of a car tire was developed before a motorcycle. Yes. You would expect motorcycles early on do have tire profiles similar to a car no they use bicycle tires shocker Uh, this one's just so insane it's just like it's just people being cheap and coming up with any excuse they can come up with to not sound cheap there's no way around it if you're dark siding you're just cheap own it, okay? If you admit to me that you're cheap and you've just found a writing style that just gets around this insane thing, okay. I mean, I could kind of understand if all you do is commute between Denver and Kansas City. <laughs> it might make sense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh. So but, weird. Uh, but there you go. Yeah. Uh. Okay. Here we go. Here's another big one. Sports equipment instead of real gear or armor. We're really just targeting dad at this point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, the most frequent way that I see this this happen is how dad does it or did it. He does. I haven't seen him do this for a long time, actually. It's been a couple years, but every once well, in yeah, a while. Yeah, he's been shamed. Yeah. Into You'll see a guy doing this often on a metric cruiser wearing a helmet. And and this is this is one where guys offend big time on the uh, the modular helmet flipped up wearing something like tennis shoes, shorts, a t-shirt, and then knee and elbow pads. I, <laughs> yeah. 
I I have seen people wearing like random sports like shoulder and chest protection. I've seen people wear them just on their own or underneath a leather jacket. I have seen people and the argument's always well it's better than nothing. In the sense that yeah, if you're going to if you're going to put your hand through a bandsaw, it would technically be better to put a condom over your hand first. But <laughs> in the most imperceptible way that doesn't really make any difference. Yes. Between absolute best case scenario and absolute worst case scenario all of the possible range of values is covered by better than nothing (laughs) (laughs) that is literally worthless as a concept when it comes to safety yep it doesn't mean anything. Well, it's a logical fallacy. It, it's it's a, it's almost an argument from ignorance. Logical fallacy. Well, to make a to make a uh, to make a callback to one of our first episodes with Doctor Mike. <clears throat> Something that is very important in safety, and this is actually perfectly derived from a very common injury. In motorcycling, which is degloving. Oh, yes. So degloving is when either through a crushing force, you know, essentially a, a very strong pinching force or just friction with the road, a joint or an appendage hits the road, your hand or your foot usually the forces involved don't crush your hand. They don't break any bones, but just through friction, they end up just pulling they grip your skin. They grip your skin and they pull all the skin off of your hand or your foot so that you've just got muscle and bone left over with all the skin peeled away. And it. Have you ever seen that scene of the woman skidding the rabbit in Roger and Me? <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a great example. That's a great example. Now, when it comes to safety gear, you know, we talk about like, oh, well, you've got to have impact protection for you know for your feet, for your for your elbows, for your hands, and for your back and everything. You've, you've got to have these pads. But you can't just have loose pads over these parts of your body because however those pads are attached to your body, they can slip because there's nothing really holding them in place strong, uh, holding them in place strongly. You need to have incorporated into that essentially a second skin. Yeah. Because there's no way that you could ever have those pads stay in place with any integrity without this second skin of cordite or uh, Kevlar or Cordura or any kind. Without, or Orc or Elf. Oh, yeah. Or your deer skin. You said skin. second skin. <laughs> 
Yeah. That was a nerd joke. <laughs> but you've got to have something that will actually... There has to be some sort of like skin-like integrity of your gear. You can't just put hockey pads on or like skate gear. Like it doesn't yeah. work. <laughs> <laughs> um Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. So um close relative of that person Craigslist helmet or even worse the helmet the bike came with. I don't know what I can add to this other than God help this person. I, I, it's like when I bought the, when I bought the gold wing, the guy was like, Oh, and it comes with these helmets and he opens up the top box and he produces these two helmets that, appeared to be child size. I can only assume that they just somehow shrank over time. They were so old. They also had this other amazing cheapness about them. In do that you still have those? I do. Well, no, they're now just decoration at the Garage Mahal. <laughs> um, but there's no way. I mean, they're literally child size. Like the helmets themselves have actually shrunk because they're so old. Like they're like, they fit my kids like, but, and they're not even like large on my kids who are six and eight, right? A, a normal adult cannot fit these helmets on their head. They have shrunk. They're that old. So you can imagine how hard the styrofoam is inside them. I mean, it's just rock. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Oh, you know, you could wear these. Uh, the guy, like the guy like offered them like, this is a bonus. Right. And these helmets are just visibly unusable, but they also had this, have this great aspect to them. That's so unbelievably cheap. They have, um, tape on them. If you look at them from a distance, they look like they've got some sort of cool seventies striped paint design on them. But upon close inspection, it's just colored tape. That's been cut out with exacto knife. Yeah. And <laughs> and it doesn't match. It's off in a lot of places. It's it's amazing. I um so that's yeah. a one far end extreme of this. But well there's also you see like, you still see this Craigslist ad of like some whatever whatever bike and they're like, oh, and uh I'll throw in the jacket and helmet too. Like there's some great Samaritan. Like, yeah, just as a PSA. If ever you see, you know, helmet and jacket included in a Craigslist ad, just in your mind, just convert that to plus zero. Yes. It will never work out. It will never be valuable. It will never actually protect you. Even if it is the correct size by some miracle. Just never ever calculate on some piece of safety gear coming with your motorcycle with your purchase actually keeping you safe the one exception to this is if the dealership offers you 
a ECE or, or Snell rated helmet with the purchase of your actual brand new financed motorcycle. If they go, hey, hey, okay, I'll throw in uh, any helmet, you know, under you know, $200 and you can find one that's ECE. Even then, check the date on it. Yes. Like, <laughs> uh, like we, I will heartily endorse like sketchily reliable motorcycles of old that you should potentially purchase and suffer through maintaining. But don't fuck around. Don't fuck around with your gear. Yeah. Okay. Here's a here's another great one. Debadging a metric cruiser. <laughs> yeah. So this this is a really big V star thing. Yeah. Yeah. This v is. V stars are really big on this. So there's only one reason to debadge a metric cruiser because you're ashamed you're ashamed of your purchase you feel that there is only one brand of motorcycle that's a legitimate motorcycle in this world and that is harley fucking davidson but it's been lean years and all you could cobble together was forty three hundred dollars for the entire purchase of your helmet, gear, and motorcycle. So you got a V-Star 650 or whatever. And, you know, when you pull up at the meatpacking plant and there's a, a row of 883s and other stuff there that has that magical Harley Davidson badge on it, yours doesn't have it. And you feel a deep sadness. You somehow don't belong. You're not one of them. You're not a real American. So you go home. You hang one sad, lonely shop light in your garage. <laughs> you get out a screwdriver and a chisel. And you start removing the word Vulcan or star or shadow or whatever anywhere you can find it which it turns out is a convenient just three or four places you may have to spray paint some side covers or get out your wife's hair dryer and get a, remove a sticker or two there'll be a little paint bubbling but hey that's what americanness costs <laughs> so you pull up the next day with awkward screw holes in the side of your tank but you know what it's fine hey you'll you'll fill you'll you'll put some filler in there and respray paint the tank with some awesome dragon later on anyway except you never get to it and guess what nobody's fucking fooled you know why because every harley davidson that's been made since amc says harley davidson on it in no less than 14 different fucking places it says it on the rims it'll say it on the fucking tires it says it on the back it says it on both sides of the tank it says it on the 
front. It says it on the seat. It says it on the side cover, the oil tank, every fucking where. The, and then after that, the cool thing to do for most people is to buy even more things that say Harley Davidson. Hey, I'm pissed that the stator cover doesn't say Harley Davidson three different times. So I'm going to buy another one and I'm going to put the number one Harley Davidson and skulls that say Harley Davidson and eagles that say Harley Davidson all over it. Your bike that mysteriously doesn't say any name on it clearly isn't a Harley Davidson. Who are you fooling? You're only fooling maybe non-motorcycle people, except non-motorcycle people will buy Harley Davidson clothing just because it says Harley Davidson on it. So why would they be into your bike when it doesn't even have the brand on it? Because that's the only thing they clearly care about. Well, because it screams Harley Davidson only without close inspection they are con they're trying to convince the person who is coming the other direction on the highway i like, guess there there is a distant element here that they're trying to convince to feel cool that's really what's happening and it's it's it is depressing. Okay. We're we're over two hours. Okay. We don't have time to do our I mean there we could do like an hour psychological breakdown on this whole concept itself. I know. But we we, we, we sadly don't have time for our uh, our how to sound like you know what you're talking about. We're gonna have to push that to, to next week. Or, and then maybe we will know what we're talking about. Yeah. By the way, because of my job and this next week being the Super Bowl, there may be a delay on next week's episode. Heads up. Um, just the way the schedule is going to work on this. It's going to be a trick. We'll try to do one. But we do have one last cheap biker move. And I think this is the cheap biker move to end all cheap biker moves. Riding on your permit forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what? It's just so expensive to take the test. So I haven't been able to swing $163 for the last 20 years. On my $11,000 base price motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> I believe if you buy a new Harley, they will throw in the basic rider course often. Like yeah. you can buy a new Sportster, the cheapest fucking thing on the floor. And as long as you're financing it, they'll just give you the course. You would think, but apparently like that's just not how it's done. It's. <sighs> Hey man, the permit's just $25. That was that involved a 20 question test. So like, I know about riding. Uh, <laughs> I guess or Well, no, the But this is equal opportunity. I used no, the I used the Harley Bro voice there, but everyone's guilty of this. Well, the, the insane thing is that in most states 
it's like $25 every 18 months. Oh, yeah. They have started. Yeah. It, it used to. It is cheaper to actually get your license. Long term. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I, this is a weird one. Like, like it, it's, it's as insane as floating credit card debt. Like... Yeah, <laughs> it makes no sense. Well, the other thing too is I. But don't you're. Think sh- I'm shocked over and over again how many times I witness this happen. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's like where it's like oh, I would love to let you ride to test ride my motorcycle. I would just at the very least like you to show me your driver's license and see a motorcycle endorsements as like, Oh, well I, I don't have my driver's license with me. Motherfucker. You drove here (laughs) to my home. (laughs) Like what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Uh, Or I like this. Well, this, okay. So, I don't know. There are people that have done the basic rider course to get their full license and endorsement, which is just the standard. I don't know anywhere where you can go to the BMV anymore and have someone follow you and just do the, the, the BMV motorcycle endorsement. It's just not a thing anymore. It's all through the MSF basic rider course that that's how you get your endorsement now just de facto. Right. Which is fair because it's like at least a remotely reasonable. Yeah. They've bottom. put a lot more thought into it than the BMV did. The BMV was like, can you obey traffic laws? That no technique taken into consideration, no anything, no real skill. It's a semblance of a low bar. Yeah. Well, I, but the thing is, is that. I think it's more than a semblance of a low bar. I think the basic rider course is the best that it can be. Given what has to be accomplished for a universal standard for everyone, all these different bikes, all these things, reasonable expectations, reasonable cost expectations, I think it's as good as it can possibly be. You know, you need to, and they tell you, you need to do more learning after this, right? They're not under some delusion that this is a magic bullet and everyone's going to leave perfect. That That's just not part of the expectation. But even with the limitations that the basic writer course has, I don't, I've, I know some people leave it going, well, that was bullshit. I didn't need to do that. But I personally haven't had the conversation with anyone where they were like, oh, that was a complete fucking waste of time. I know there are people that for pride reasons will leave kind of with that thought. But personally, everyone I've talked to that's done the basic rider course has gone, yeah, it was actually worth it. And you know what? It was even kind of fun. Yeah. Like uh, avoiding it like, oh, why should I sink this like, 150 to 200 dollars on this bullshit i'll just keep riding on my permit is insane because long term obviously you'll spend less money having done it but also it is it's a it's not a wasted 160 whatever dollars 
it you get something for it. Yeah. And and the more likely you are to think it's a complete waste of time, the more likely you are to really learn something. If you're yeah. paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, but. If you're riding on your permit right now, which certainly at least a few hundred of you are. God help you. Just just do it. Just, just fucking do it. Just dot the I's and cross the T's and just, you know, just be solid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, at the very least, it will expose a few things that you don't know and it'll let you know a couple of the things that you on your own It'll it'll highlight what you need to keep learning at the very least. And again, don't be that guy, <laughs> right? Don't be mm-hmm. that guy. It's well. Here's the. Th- here's it doesn't the thing. scream cheap to everyone around you, and you can quietly get away with this one. But in your heart, deep in your heart of hearts, in the cockles, perhaps the subcockles, maybe even in the colon, you know how cheap you're being. Yeah. Well, this, this we is one know. of the areas where I think that, like, equally the British system is totally bullshit because of the fact that really what we need is a mix of the two. Because the whole concept of the A1 and the A2 class and a full license and an unrestricted license is bullshit is because that they're age restricted and you have to go through a certain number of years of experience to go through each one of those classes is really is like you should just be able to take like getting a license should be like a two-week course that you just go through and then you do everything all at once like the age restriction on each class is totally bullshit i agree it needs to be sort of more mileage a combination of mileage and skill base rather than just age and time where it's like oh rocco landers is too young to take his a2 class shut the fuck up yeah (laughs) i think he knows how to handle a a fucking leader bike uh yeah (laughs) at least a 650 right well, there are A2, 650. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. So, whew, okay, let's try to let's try to glide down to a landing. We we've we've hit a lot of weird places in this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, this was fun. I I know it sounded kind of mean spirited for some of these, but you know, I these are cheap moves. You know, uh, reasonably I, I I would be surprised if many of our listeners were doing more than one of these, right? Like for, for the motorcycle fads, I would be not shocked if there were several listeners that had gone through like six or seven of the items, right? <laughs> Just over the course of their life. Been, I've been riding for 30 years. What you going to do? You're going to fall victim to some of these things. <laughs> I mean, I did. I was guilty of multiple things through the fads, right? Like – yeah, ones I would really be ashamed to admit. But well, yeah. <laughs> but on this one, I would be shocked if many people were doing multiples of these cuz uh yeah. I mean, what are the odds that one of our listeners 
has cords showing on their dark side tires with muffs and all they put in their bike is Rotella. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, well, uh, clearly that person isn't listening to the show because they don't own a smartphone because they think it's a ripoff, right? So... (laughs) (laughs) That's a that's a person also preparing to burn down 5G towers. Right. Like, that's a, like that person, we we don't need to call that person out. That person's already been taken care of. That person's on a list. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So um yeah, again, we're going to try to make an episode happen on time for next week. No promises, but no promises. Um, we're we're taking a uh, actually a ski holiday over the next couple days, and then I have this grueling work schedule. After that, I'm gonna try to make something happen here, but no promises. It might be a best worst bike, and then just the 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 stuff that we couldn't get into today's episode. Um, if we do something, so be prepared. It might be a little late. But you know what? That's just how it works. Ooh, um, after that, um, hmm. yeah, there's, there's, not, there's not much else that we need to hit except no, we're um, done. Shut yeah, it, shut it down. Yeah, I guess I guess it's just been in go mode, running through all these items, <laughs> all all these things, and. Uh, conclusion oh i remember what i was gonna say um also there were other things mentioned in the emails and we'll read those parts of those emails in full in the next episode we're not leaving your stuff out we okay there we go now we're good let's finally end this one i've been your host bogp he's been your host spriggy this was episode 135 we're gonna remind everyone to stay safe stay tuned keep fighting the dragon And let's roll the outro. And I don't want to die. I just want to ride on my motorcycle. A lot of people don't know we sing this at the beginning and end of every show live.